Well, we are in the midst of a series on Isaiah 40 to 55, and I'm calling it Tidings of Comfort and Joy because we began in Advent, and so that line from God rest ye merry gentlemen occurred to me as a good heading for these texts, which are a series of songs, really, that accompany our spiritual journey. They are tidings of God's comfort and responses of our joy as we consider what God has provided. And for the next few weeks in this series, we're going to be exploring the, as we did started last week, we are going to be exploring the interplay between a series of opposites. I have uh, poles at the end of the spectrum, the metaphors of two things that are opposite that characterize our journey of faith. They characterize the spiritual life. They're the poles between which we live out our relationship with God, and they are constantly happening to us. Last week, we looked at poles of blindness and vision, times where we can't see and times where we can on the spiritual journey. And today, we're looking at the metaphors of exile and restoration, those times of dislocation and dysphoria, exile, mixed with the alternate experience of feeling like we're in the right place and occupying the right space that we're home. And as we deal with exile and restoration today, you need to know that really this whole section of scripture, Isaiah 40 to 55, is really about that tension between those two things because it is a word addressed to the people of Israel as they are anticipating the end of the Babylonian exile. It's pretty clear that Babylon is not going to be able to hold them there and the prophet lets them know that restoration to Jerusalem is on the horizon. And at the end of Isaiah 42, as we saw last week, there is that reminder that somehow God was involved in this exile. Israel at this, because of the exile, felt very much abandoned by God. And the end of Isaiah 42 suggests that it was God who gave them up, in the prophet's words, to the spoiler. But Isaiah 43 begins with those two words, but now. There's a different story that's being told, but now there's a turning point. You felt abandoned, but God isn't finished with you, and the exile didn't end your relationship with God. So I'm going to read the most of the chapter, verses 1 through 21, and we've heard most of it already, but it's worth hearing in its entirety all in one piece. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. 
Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring forth the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. Let all the nations gather together and let the peoples assemble. Who among them declared this and foretold to us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to justify them and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God, nor shall there be any other after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, says the Lord. I am God, and also henceforth I am he. There is no one who can deliver you from my hand. I work, and who can hinder it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and break down all the bars, and the shouting of the Chaldeans will be turned to lamentation. I'm the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. Let's pray. Lord, it is in repetition that we learn best. So we thank you for these reminders, these things that we have heard before, and yet always sound like the new song and as if we're hearing them for the first time when we begin to resonate with them. So help us to hear this day, help us to see, and help us to rest in a place of joy as we give thanks to you for your presence. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the word exile is something that I think ought to be familiar to all of us at least the feelings that go with exile, because they're pretty normative to the human experience. It's not as just a strange, singular sort of experience that we have in life. We have experiences of exile really throughout our life. Exile is very much a historic sort of geopolitical reality that ever since history has been recorded, eras of exile and experience of exile have been a big part of the recording of history. History's filled with stories of exile and, and there's one going on right now in Gaza. 
There's one going on right now south of us at our border. These stories of exile are not strange to our ears. We are aware of them. We've heard them again and again and again. Many of our own families, as Americans, we have to say many of our own families have experienced exile. In some ways, the founding of this country was based on exile. And not only that, the founding of this country by Europeans gave rise to two very significant exiles that took place as a result. As Native Americans were displaced and as African Americans were brought in in order to support this new community that these exiles once persecuted became persecutors. Exile is not strange to our history. It is not strange to our experience. But it's not just a geopolitical thing. There are also personal experience of exile, kind of micro-exiles that we live, those places where we feel banished from the life that we once had and are having to look toward a new kind of life in a new kind of reality and wondering how we're going to cope. You can see collections of these kinds of exiles all over the place, and you can see individuals who are experiencing these kinds of exiles if they let you in to their experience, because sometimes they're hidden. But just go to the chemo room at any cancer treatment center, and you experience what it is to be an exile, looking at that new normal of having to receive this medication and, and looking around at all of your compatriots who are doing the same thing because they've been told that they have a, a deadly disease. It separates them, it dislodges them from their former life. They, they find community with one another but they all know that they stand in opposition to what the society calls the norm, which is health, which I'm learning as I age is not the norm. <laughs> <laughs> I remember experiencing an exile that my mother went through. I was a young adult. My parents had separated. My mother, I was in my first year of college. I was accompanying her to the grocery store one day and she had to have a check card filled out. You remember when you had checks? Do you remember when you had check cashing cards at places? And she had to fill out a form to receive a check cashing card. And it came to that point on the application where it said occupation. And there was this line that said, this little box to check that said housewife. And she just hesitated and she looked at the clerk. She said, I'll have to fill this out later. And we walked out. And then she said to me when, when we were out of earshot, she said, why do they need to know what I do? And I said, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> she said, I'm not a housewife anymore. I'm not a housewife. I'm a homemaker. And just because your father left doesn't mean that I'm not a homemaker anymore. That's my occupation. But they don't have that. They don't have a box for that. This is the woman who signed her checks always Mrs. William Rohr. And suddenly that was no longer the identity. That was no longer the thing that gave her access to society. And, and she was in exile. She felt banished. 
She felt abandoned. She felt without a sense of belonging at that point, especially as she engaged all of the couples groups that they were once a part of. My Lord, they were in bridge clubs galore, and you know, suddenly she had no partner. That's exile. That's a very familiar kind of exile to a lot of people. But what happens, whether exile is geopolitical or whether it's personal, exile is the experience of being displaced, the experience of being banished, the experience of being excluded. And having, therefore, to find a new home in light of some circumstance that has robbed you or separated you or displaced you from your home you've always known. You're not fully who you were, and now you have to figure out who you're going to be. That's exile. And Israel's experience is well documented. Their exile in Babylon is very well documented. In fact, it's probably one of the most fruitful periods for producing some of the most beautiful scriptures in the Old Testament. Psalm 137 is one of those. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept. We wept when we remembered Zion, for we hung our harps on the, the willows there. For our captors, there our captors demanded of a song, singing us, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. We wept. And we don't know how to sing the song in a foreign land. In fact, we don't really want to sing the song in the foreign land. What we want to do is to basically slam your baby's heads against the rocks. That's how that psalm ends. Exile produces deep grief and deep anger at the dislocation. So it gets us to ask that question, how are we going to live here? And when it's over, how are we going to live there where we used to live? Because everything has changed. We're going to go home to a place that is like nothing compared to what it was before we left it. And so just being restored to a geographic point is not going to restore us to home. And restoration, therefore, is kind of a misnomer because in this particular case especially, all the glorious language must apply to something more than going back to what is literally in, in contemporary terms a bombed out city. Restoration is a misnomer because it may be that while you have restoration to a geographic point on the map, it's nothing like the home that was left. But the prophet's main message in the face of this tension is that there's a still point, a still point that's true in both places, whether you're at home or whether you're displaced from home, a still point that has always been true and will always be true. And it's so appropriately wrapped up in that phrase where the prophet says, this is what God's saying. God is saying, I have called you, 
by name, and you were mine. God says you're still in relationship with me, irrespective of your locale, irrespective of your social status, and you always will be. There's a series of divine declarations in Isaiah 43, and he doesn't mind repeating himself, as you've heard. And those divine declarations begin with that, but now. And I think that, that in some ways is the, you know, if I was going to name this sermon, if I was preaching this passage on all by itself, I would name this sermon, but now. Because it's that attempt to jar us out of that feeling that the dislocation will never end in the promise that something else is coming forward. But now, yes, all of this has happened to you, but now a new thing is happening because a very old thing has never stopped being true. That's what the prophet is saying. It's a chapter filled with a a string of divine declarations that characterize the nature of God's relationship with his creation. I created, I saved. I will send to Babylon. I will break down the bars. I will make a way in the wilderness. I will guide you back. I am. And you are mine. Verses 11 through 12 say it well. I, I am he. I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. Remember that time? (laughs) And you are my witnesses. So whether you are in Jerusalem or in Babylon or in the wilderness in between them, trying to find your way, you are home. For God essentially says through the prophet, I am your home. You know, Weeping by the waters of Babylon is really not a foreign experience to any of us. We have all been there, and we will all visit that place again at some point in our future, because it's the place where we feel out of place, somehow banished for a time that we don't know how long that time will be, but banished for a time from the place where we once belonged and wondering if we'll ever get back to it kind of detached from all of our familiar moorings because they no longer exist and wondering how we're going to go on for we are none of what we were. And knowing we can't go back and wondering if there's a way forward. And the good news that the prophet brings us in this passage is that there is a way forward. There is a but now. There is a a new thing. And ironically, it's a very old thing that has remained constant in spite of everything that has changed. It's a constant that fuels a journey forward. It's an invitation to move into that broad and open space, even though we can't fully see what's on the horizon, even though it seems very scary. But now, says God, the bars of captivity are down, so cross the threshold 
step out, move forward knowing that I will be who I have always been. For I am always about to do a new thing. So do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have freed you. I have called you by name. And you are mine. Let's pray. We thank you, O God, that our deepest comfort in life is that we belong in body and soul and in life and in death, not to ourselves, but to you. So root us and ground us in that steadfast love and so empower us to live in hope and to live in confidence because nothing can separate us from your love. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.